Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is The Guardian. You've got the State Liberal Party of Victoria proposing legislation of a 50% target and the Federal Liberal Party saying 43% being legislated would be an affront to civilization. I mean, the Federal Liberal Party is out of touch, even with their state branches, um, let alone the Australian people and the broad mass of the population. I mean, they are just reinforcing how much they don't get it. Hello, lovely people of pods, and welcome to the show. You are with Catherine Murphy, and you're listening to Australian Politics. And who else would I have on the show at the end of this week? Is that your first question, Murph? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's laughing. He didn't. We didn't cue this very well. My guest this week, sorry, be professional. My guest this week is Chris Bowen, who is the Minister for Climate Change, and that's the reason I set it up in that fashion because it's been a very big week for climate change policy. The Albanese government has got its first lot of legislation through the House of Representatives, which may not sound like much, but if you've lived in Australia for the last 10 years, is actually, in fact, a minor revolution. So anyway, I've invited Chris on to the show uh, just so that we can talk about the events of the week and we can start to look ahead at what, what else needs to happen. So, Chris, why don't we start with the week? Because obviously you had the numbers to pass this legislation in the House of Representatives. You didn't, in fact, have to talk to anybody or do anything at this point in time. But you did, obviously. You you spoke to the Greens and you spoke to uh, the Teal Independents uh, and reached a, a set of agreements. Why don't we bring the listeners into, into that picture? What? How did that all happen? Well, um, thank you, Murph. Look, this is important legislation, as I think, you know, you and our listeners would agree. So we wanted to get it right and we wanted to get the process right. There's, we've spent too long as a country buggering this up and, and you know, very close to a decade in particular of, of denial and delay. And it was just really important to get this right. And so, um, uh, you know, the PM and I had the view pretty early that, we should get the legislation through if it was possible to do with in keeping with our mandate. Uh, and also, you know, work across the parliament and um, recognise, as I said to the independents at the beginning, we've got a mandate, we've got a set of policies, we're, we're going to implement them, but I don't think I hold all wisdom about every line in the bill. You know, if there's sensible suggestions about things uh, to uh, improve the bill, uh, in, from your point of view, we'll talk. And we did. Um, and, you know, different conversation with the Greens, different dynamic, but also 
I think, fair to say, with the national interest at, uh, at its heart to get the job done. And it was interesting too because I sat in the chamber for the debate and just watched it play out. Obviously, there were a bunch of amendments that that were agreed between uh, the government and various actors, like the, the, the individual independents and the Greens, and there were some uh, amendments that were not agreed and therefore not accepted, yep. and the independents voted different ways on some of those different amendments, which I sort of found quite interesting, sort of looking at the, the sort of, I guess, where where those sort of non-government actors were positioning themselves in terms of those various amendments. But anyway, I don't want to get us stuck on that. Um, so it's obviously passed the House. It goes now to a Senate inquiry and the Parliament doesn't sit again for another month or so. So it goes to the Senate. Are you absolutely confident that the Senate is locked in to pass this pass, uh, this this package of legislation? Because obviously when you have a, an inquiry, a parliamentary inquiry, uh, often interest groups, you know, they find problems with the bill or, or there are different issues that get introduced into into the conversation at that point. Yeah. Are you, in terms of obviously the, the Greens announced this week that they would support the package, is your understanding and belief that, that, that that's the end of the matter, that there's no right? So there there won't be further amendments in the Senate or further dialogue in the no, Senate? No, this is, this is uh, they've announced they're voting for it in the Senate and, you know, and they will. Uh, I have no doubt about that. Um, look, in terms of the amendments um, in the House and the process, um, you know, I don't want to sort of go through the entire, you know, who said what to whom, that would be, you know, not right and very boring. But um, the general principle, I think, whenever you're negotiating anything is this, let's agree on what we're the starting point, you know, we agree on these things. Let's rule out what we're not going to agree on, you know. You know, yeah. the Greens have a position on these things. The Labor Party has a strong position on these things. So let's sure talk about how we're going to manage that disagreement, uh, you know, between Adam Bant and myself. And, you know, they're going to say what they're going to say and I'm going to say what I'm going to say and the Prime Minister's going to say what he's going to say and we're going to, we're going to continue to argue those things publicly. But here's the things in the middle where we might have different ways of getting there or we might have different perspectives, but we're, we're, we're trying to do similar things. Let's concentrate on that and see if we can find a way where, you know, you can make a suggestion that we can incorporate or we can make a suggestion that you can live with and use that as the basis for the discussions. And that's the way it worked with the Greens. It's also the way it worked with the Teal Independents, not just the sort of Teals from in, from central casting. Uh, we, I say that in, you know, flippantly, you know, the, with, with no disrespect, not just the well-understood Teals, but, you know, the Helen Haynes, who's a little bit different, Rebecca mm. Sharkey, to mm. say, you know, they were, they were we had good conversations and they made suggestions to me. And, again, there were some times where I said, look, guys, I'm just going to be really straight with you. I'm not going to agree to that and there's no point in talking about that any further. Um, that's a, a red line that the government won't cross. Other areas where they suggested things, I said straight away, that looks fine to me. That's very sensible. I think that's a good suggestion, a good addition. And a sort of a third category where we say, look, I understand what you're trying to achieve, but I just don't think that wording will work for us. So I think the Parliamentary Council would have a problem with that. Let's, let's you know, exchange words uh, on that and see if we can come up with a form of words which achieves the same objective that you're trying to do in a slightly different way. And, and really that's that was the process with the independents um, and, again, a similar but separate discussion with the Greens um, to say, well, okay, you want these things. We're just not going to agree to that. Um, you know, we have, a, we have different political parties with a different view. 
we agree on those things already. That's already settled. So let's just concentrate our conversation on where we might be able to work together. Mm-hmm. And going into this process, um, did well, no, I'll ask this differently, actually. It, it, sort of while you were conducting this process, was there, because the, the critical player, with no disrespect to other members of the crossbench, but given the Senate situation, the critical player was the Greens. Did you at any point think that there was a danger of not reaching agreement? Oh, look, yeah, the agreement wasn't struck until the agreement was struck. So, um, you know, we, we had very good faith discussions and I had some confidence that we would get there, you know, um, but it wasn't struck until uh, it was struck um, the day before the legislation went through the House. So, um uh, there was always a chance where, you know, it's a, I, I, as a saying I deployed a few times in these negotiations, both with the Greens and when briefing my colleagues, we're 99% of the way there, which means we're about halfway done. You know, that last 1% can be, you know, really hard. You can agree on 99% of things and then that last 1% can be really tricky because it's things that are important, you know, and things that are important, something that might be important to me might not be important to the Greens and vice versa. And, you know, so mm. that last you know, really sort of tricky negotiations can come down to just a few words here and there. So uh, it it all worked. It worked, but um, there was, you know, absolutely no guarantee that this was going to be pulled off. Absolutely not. Hmm. And what was the the 1%? What was the most difficult? Oh, look, again, I don't want to go through, you know, these these things. It's very important that people can have frank conversations um, and they they be discreet ones, and that's the way this was done. But, you know... um, Again, like wording, like, um, you know, the Greens had some suggestions about the CCA amendment, which um, in the end uh, they moved and I accepted. They had different versions to start with, you know. Um, mm. Mm. As you would expect, it's an iterative process, um, uh, a respectful one, a good faith one, um, uh, a, a productive one, um, but, you know, one where we're, we're coming at things from different points of view and have different starting points. Um, mm-hmm. That's the art of good negotiation, right, getting people to concentrate on what they can agree on and get done for the country. Mm-hmm. And, look, so let's look forward. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the 1% was and, and you, for entirely proper reasons, are not uh, not really going to go there. But obviously if we look at what people are saying in the public domain, uh, you know, the Greens are going to continue to pursue the issue of new oil and gas developments. That's, that's very obvious from what they're saying publicly. Now, there's a couple of questions I want to ask you about this. Uh, I'm just interested uh, that the UN chief this week said that the fossil fuel companies have basically got humanity by the throat at this point in time. And he says, he said also this week that nothing could be more clear or present than the danger of fossil fuel expansion, right? This is the UN chief. This isn't the head of, you know, the International Socialist Federation. This is, uh, you know. Some some liberals would say the same thing, but I. Well, 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 that's obviously, obviously nonsense. We can agree that's nonsense. But what I'm saying is he's not, uh, you know, he's not an environmentalist. You know, right? He's well. He's he's just making a diagnostic assessment. Exactly. He's a serious character. Not that you know, people who campaign for the environment are unserious people. But I'm just saying, right? He's the head of the UN. He's saying this. Um, It's very stark language, and it's consistent with what a number of other agencies are saying about the dangers of further fossil fuel expansion. Do you agree with it? Well, um, Murph, I think the key thing is here. 
I, I know Antonio Guterres. Uh, I've worked with him in the past, and as you know, I have a lot of respect for him. So what I'm about to say is not a criticism of him or what he said. It's a statement of fact, though, about the discussion in Australia. Sweeping generalisations um, are not helpful. Um, and, and again, uh, let, let me explain what I mean by that, because I'm not having a go at anybody. I'm, I'm sort of laying out the, the complexities to the situation. You know, I 100% agree there's no new coal-fired power stations to be built in Australia. Um, I 100% agree that new gas-fired power stations should be converted to green hydrogen ASAP, you know, as soon as practicable. That's our, And that's our policy, and that's what we're doing. So to that degree, absolutely. I mean, you know, we don't want to see any expansion of that form of energy generation. It's not viable. It's not it's not um, sensible. Uh, we won't be doing it to the degree that, as I said, you know, we will convert the curry curry gas plant to green hydrogen as soon as practicable. That is not overnight and it has, you know, it has some challenges. It's not yet commercial, but it will happen. And, you know, whereas the Liberals were going down the coal-fired power station route, we're not and we won't. And it's ridiculous uh, for new coal-fired power stations. Matt Canavan and, you know, and Barnaby Joyce are still jumping up and down about them, but it's fantasy and, you know, most sensible people know that. Um, but, look, you know, but at the same time, Gas is going to be in the system for some time. Coal is going to be in the system for some time. Those resources have to come from somewhere. You know, they're, they're, there's got to be enough fuel for them. Um, and Australia is an export country. So we take a case-by-case case approach. And, you know, there's been examples of that. We're recording here on Friday. Tanya Clipper said yesterday mm. made a rather significant decision and good on her. Um, you know, I today made announcements about the next phase of offshore wind, which is a new renewable uh, source for Australia, which will, you know, which will be a very part of our strong part of our energy mix going forward. Um, so we take that that approach rather than the, you know, what, what might be the easier thing to say is we're going to stop all this and all that straight away. We're, I want to transition to uh, 82% renewable economy in the first instance by 2030 and more than that uh, after that, which is faster than what has been achieved so far and more orderly. You know, and we need to manage um, the inevitable closure of coal-fired power stations more carefully than has been done in the past, both for the workers' mm. concern and the energy mix. Um, it has that's been done without due care and responsibility, and it's been too slow. Now that is, I think, an aggressive, fast approach, um, but a sensible one rather than the sort of um, we're going to stop all this today and all that tomorrow approach. Which again, you know, I'm not saying that being disrespectful to anyone. I'm saying we've got a massive task here. 82% renewables by 2030 is ambitious. 43% emissions reduction target, despite what, you know, um, uh, some people say, is also ambitious. It's 89 months away. I, I think I've made that point on this podcast before. It's, it's, I think I might have said, you know, 91 months at that point. It's now 89 months away. It's not long mm. for this sort of massive transition. And it's going to happen at a pace under a new government determined to make it so. Yeah, but it's sort of a few things get conflated in this conversation, though. It's not obviously, you know, there are existing coal mines, there are existing LNG, you know, developments, uh, and then there are new ones. Like there's two, there's two things here. Um, obviously, as you say, you know, these these commodities are required because at, at this point we can't, you know, we can't just shut off fossil fuels tomorrow. The debate is whether or not you you open up new facilities. Now, you've addressed that in the energy sector, but obviously there's, you know, there's broader implications here. There's whether or not you open up 
new gas fields, whether or not you open up new coal mines. I know you're not the environment minister before you tell me that, but it's like... I wasn't like... about to actually, Murph, but I was about to make a difference. Oh, all right. I was about to make a difference okay. that, that, yes, but we still are going to need um, these forms of energy for some time and it's going to have to come from somewhere, whether it's the existing field or a new field. You know, take gas, for example. It's, an, it's, it's a vital feedstock for a whole bunch of industrial processes, right? whether it's making plastics or making glass making cement, I'm very confident that green hydrogen is going to come forward and be viable there. It's not yet. It's not yet and won't be for some time. So, you know, let's not pretend that somehow or other there, there's a magic solution to this. Um, yes, yes, we export a lot. There's, con- there's existing contracts. There's a whole other debate there which we could get into. The new government's, you know, undertaking reforms there to make sure that we have a sensible set of regulatory regimes in place. But, look, there are... Uh, there is, you, you will struggle to find anyone in the, in the parliament more passionate about the transition to renewable energy than I am. That's my job, you know. Um, I spent a lot of time thinking about it, working on it, but it's going to take time, and that means let's be, let's just have a a discussion about how we manage that transition. The transition is going to occur. The previous government denied it would occur, and therefore denied you know, refuse to put in place the mechanisms to achieve it. That's why, partly why we're in the mess we're in. That's being fixed. Um, but, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a massive task. What about uh, obviously um, the Greens have have said this or foregrounded this? David Pocock said it. Uh, he's a critical player in the Senate. Uh, the issue of whether or not the the plan, the government's planned overhaul of environmental law, uh, whether or not when when those when the environment regulations are rewritten, whether or not you insert a climate trigger or something equivalent to that in in the process of assessments. If folks listening on don't understand what a climate trigger is, it's quite straightforward. It just means when uh, big developments have their environmental approvals that the impact of climate change is factored into the assessments. Is that a viable position to consider? Well, look, we'll, we'll, Tanya Plebisic is working through, um, you know, environmental reforms. Um, they will be something the government will consider. It won't be part of any sort of discussions or negotiations more broadly. It'll be something for the government to consider. Um, you know, that's a matter of public record, has been for some time. Graham Samuel brought down a review. Um, the previous government made some response to that, but Tanya has taken the ball up and is running with it. And, you know, she's already doing a great job as environment minister. Um, and, you know, that's the sort of process that she has embarked upon and that'll continue, but that'll be... That'll be a government process, um, and uh, you know, and you shouldn't read into that any views one way or another from me. Uh, it's a it's a statement of fact that Tanya has a process underway, and you know I'll be working with her on. And uh, but in terms of it being a government process, of course it is. That rewrite is of course a matter of the of the government. But you any any rewritten laws are going to have to clear the parliament. Therefore, if some of the Senate protagonists are out there basically, you know, projecting thoughts or dispositions in relation to this, it would be a bit silly not to listen, wouldn't it? Well, I mean that's 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 politics, isn't it? Yes, but um, but you know I'm, I'm making the point that. Um, the government has a process to go through first, led by Tanya in this instance. We'll come up with our preferred position and then we'll argue for it. And we will uh, navigate our way through the parliament as we have done this week uh, on the issues in my space. Mm. Yeah, well, it's uh, just note for the listeners, there's no no in 
in response to that question. Anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, the next big thing, obviously, well, well, there's so many big things, but the, one of the next big things is the safeguard mechanism and the, re- the the overhaul of the safeguard mechanism. Now, I think you said this week, Chris, or possibly, anyway, it may not have been this it's week, all- but recently that there's a discussion paper, there's a discussion paper about to uh, emerge over the next month or so, but just uh, but just a couple of questions I want to get clearer in my own mind. Does this overhaul of the safeguard mechanism, will that require legislation? No. You think you can do it by regulation? Yes. Yeah. That you won't have to change the primary legislation at all? That's right. That's right. Um, there's one small part of the reform which will require legislation, but that is not sort of the big chunk of the policy that we took the election. It's actually, um, I don't want to, this is really important, Murph, I'm glad you've raised it because this is a really big moving lever at our disposal which probably doesn't get as much attention as some of the other things yeah. um, that are in the debate. So I'm glad you raised it. But uh, but there's one small part of the reform called um, below the baseline crediting which will yep. play, but that's actually bipartisan, both sides of politics think that should happen. So I don't envisage that being hopefully too controversial. Um, but the reforms that we took to the election to put, the safeguards mechanism on a trajectory to net zero do not require legislation. They will be by mm-hmm. regulation. Now, as you said, uh, I've got a discussion paper coming out soon as we're still working on it. It's not quite ready um, because there are a lot of complicated moving parts here. This is really important. Let's just go back to first principles for a second for the listeners because I, I doubt everybody has followed the final nuances of the safeguards mechanism and nor should they. But the safeguards mechanism was put in place by the last government um, to sort of say when they abolish the carbon price, but we'll make sure, don't worry, we'll make sure the big emitters don't emit anymore because we'll have a safeguards mechanism in place which will require them not to emit more. It hasn't worked um, because they had the baseline so high that it was just useless. But that doesn't mean that the architecture was useless. The architecture was actually mm. quite well designed. And yeah. I think probably whether it was some bureaucrats or somebody, but somebody designed it quite well thinking, well, one day a government might come along and might actually use this for the purpose it was designed for, and that's what we're doing. Now, how we make that change is actually quite complicated. The the election promise we took was to put those safeguard facilities, there's 215 of them, if they emit more than 100,000 tonnes a year, on a trajectory to net zero. Now, there's a, a fair bit of choice um, before us, before me, um, to recommend to the Cabinet about how we do that. I want to consult with people. There'll be views um, within, you know, the industries, within um, the, the climate movement about the best way and, you know, I, I, I have some very genuine open minds about some of the finer details like how you set the baseline, mm. you deal with um, what we call emissions-intensive trade exposure. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a couple of options there. You'll see that when the discussion paper comes out, it's quite a genuine process um, and... Um, about you know, how you deal with the different facilities of the different sectors. Mm. Um, I think some of the complexity will be clear when that discussion paper comes out uh, in the next few weeks. Yeah, and obviously if you were having a genuine process, I don't expect you to have settled positions um, and, you know, that, that would be silly, wouldn't it? But but I am interested in a couple of things. Um, obviously under the previous government, uh, facilities were permitted to increase their emissions, even though this was a mechanism, as you've said, right, designed to actually do the opposite. There was this practice where facilities were able to, you know, basically say, excuse me, can I... 
uh, increase my emissions? And the government said, yeah, sure, as you've asked me, why not? Um, are you envisaging that that, that that ends, that that practice ends? Yeah, so, I mean, one of the problems was that, you know, facilities could sort of trade between years. And there's some place for, you know, everybody understands there's got to be some flexibility, no, no, no issues with that, but it was sort of so loose that it did nothing. Mm. Um, that's not primarily where the reform choices lie. The, the reform choices lie in sort of how you set the new baselines. Is it, um, again, I don't want to get, get ahead of, you know, what's in the discussion paper, but, you know, how much do you look at industry averages, how much do you look at particular yeah. facilities, all that's going to be in the discussion paper. Yep, yep, yep. No, I know, but I'm just, I'm, I'm sort of, I guess, mm. what I'm trying to do is, 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 sure. is get a couple of principles that can, yeah. that can sit above detail, which is, you know, to be continued and to be discussed, yeah. well, right? So, just as a point of principle, yeah. right? It's like, do, do you envisage setting up a scheme where someone could just opt out of their no. obligations? No, no, right? No. Okay, I mean, good. No, interesting. No, thank I mean, you. you. Can, they can choose how they reduce their emissions. You know, we're not going to come in and make those decisions for them. Um, but, you know, they've got to be on a trajectory towards net zero. Now, there's questions about, you know, how you do that, what degree of flexibility you have. There, there needs to be some flexibility. You know, nobody's going to have like a straight linear line to zero and say mm-hmm. you've got to reduce by this amount for sure. you, um, with no flexibility or else because um, every facility is different. You know, we're talking here coal mines, we're talking gas facilities, we're talking aluminium smelters. There's, these are all facilities, not companies, with two exceptions. The, the Qantas and Virgin are counted as facilities, even though they're companies. Yeah. So they're very different yeah. to a coal mine, you know, with different technologies available to them. So that's the sort of degree of complexity we have here. We knew that, but the principle that we sort of mandated, received a mandate for is very, very clear that we're going to put the safeguard mechanism to work. It's, it's as I keep saying, it's real important stuff you don't reduce emissions unless you reduce them from your biggest emitters. You know, that's mm. pretty basic. Yeah. It's got to be said. That will, got to, yeah, well, yeah. Because, will. You, know, um, you know, the, the Liberal Party doesn't agree with it. Still, still worth being said. Um, but we've got to get it right. Um, and uh, that's what I'm pretty determined to do. But here's my point. You know, when I say to people, and I, again, I say this in good faith, I'm not being critical. You want to call for higher targets, that's fine. That's your right. But, you know, Bear in mind the complexity and the size and the task of what we're doing here. I mean, when the safeguards mechanism becomes a political football, as it will, as the Liberal Party inevitably engages in, you know, cheap politics about it, just remember the fight we're in here to get to the 43%. Mm. You know, this is not easy stuff, you know. Mm. So um, uh, that's fine. We're up for it. But but here we are. You know, this is a very serious economic reform, the safeguards mechanism reform that we're undertaking. Well, it's, it's, I think, in my view, it's one of the most important things you'll do this term because it's the difference between actually achieving a 43% target and not, right? But one more question of principle. Um, you, you inferred this in your answer, but I just want to ask you more explicitly. Obviously, yeah, like the facilities are not going to set linear trajectories that, that involve actual emissions reduced at facilities in this sort of straight line down, right? There's going to be a, a variety of of actions, including uh, purchasing offsets, yep. right? A lot of facilities will do that yep. in order to 
acquit their obligations. Yes. And if, if people listening don't know about offsets, that means, well, you can reduce emissions in two ways. You can actually reduce emissions or you can buy some the emissions reduced by someone else, right? That's sort of at the simplest level. So there'll be a threshold policy decision to make about that, like whether whether there'll be limits mm. on the amount of of emissions uh, that, that that are reduced by offsetting as opposed to actually reducing emissions. Have you got any of that clear in your mind? Like, will, will there be a limit? Like, if I am facility X, right, and I'm one of the 215, and I decide I'm going to, I'm going to deal with my entire emissions obligation by offsets, I'm just going to go and buy a whole bunch of offsets, will I be able to do that? Well, again, there's a few issues in the discussion paper, which when you, I'm sure you'll be one of its most vociferous readers. I will be a very avid reader of the discussion and, paper, and, that is true. And good on you, and I welcome that. Um, and, and, you know, maybe I'll, once it's public I can come on and talk about some of the issues again, but there will be some issues there. The point I, I would make is... I've said previously, um, offsets will be more important under us, not not less important, because we are undertaking a very big, you know, emissions reduction task. And there's a, the net zero thing is important because it's zero and net. So the, the implication of net is there's a role for offsets. You know, most sensible people understand we, we, that. that yeah. What that's why one of the reasons why we've embarked in offsets reform to ensure yeah. integrity, right? Because I mean, it's got to be a system with integrity. There've got to be real, meaningful offsets with real, meaningful emissions reduction. That should be the case, regardless. Particularly the case if you're doing more of it. That's why we've appointed Professor Ian Chubb and the Honourable Annabel Bennett and mm-hmm. Evan Hatfield Dodds and Ariadne Goring. Now, this is a very high-powered review that I've appointed to ensure the integrity of the offset system, um, because. You know, there have been allegations made that the offset system is not fit for purpose. I have no view about that. That's why I've appointed yeah. the review. But I want to be able to look the Australian people in the eye and say, you know, we are very certain that offsets are real and yeah. I've appointed the most, you know, impeachable, unimpeachable group of individuals you could imagine yeah, look- it's a serious. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a serious review with ser- serious people doing it. But and so you know, it's great. Obviously, if the offsets are actually going to be real, mm-hmm. as opposed to you know something sort of generated that's 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 sort of uh, you know fake, basically. But still, like just as uh, just at that level of principle, can I do can I do it entirely by offsets? Can I do it? Well, will will there be I- limits or not? Well, I think you'll see in the discussion paper we go through how emissions intensive, um, trade exposed. Um, uh, facilities are treated, how they they get some, you know, uh, consideration for their trade exposed uh, elements, et cetera, with various options. I, you know, we, I'm, I'm getting very close to announcing it, to release it. Yes. But I, I, well, that would be marvellous if you would. But I'm not in a position to do it on this podcast because there's still some, you know, I dot, you know full stops being inserted and some um, cross T's being crossed, et cetera. So, but, you know, it'll be out relatively soon and it'll be a very transparent process you'll be able to see all the um all the relevant sort of factors all the various permutations all right quickly because we're on we're really on the clock transport uh is obviously going to be really important uh and you've taken the first step in terms of the uh reducing uh tariffs on evs which makes evs cheaper 
fringe benefits have to. Yep. Fringe and 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 FBT. That's true, but but that in and of itself is not a transport strategy, as I'm sure you would readily acknowledge. So what you know what when are we going to see more meat on those bones? Like you know, are you going to have vehicle emission standards, for example? Are you going? Is there going to be some sort of mass rollout of technology in terms of charging stations? Where's all that up to? Well, um, charging stations, yes. Um, so yes, you're uh, yes, you're right. We've passed through the House our fringe benefits tax abolition for electric vehicles below the electric car tax threshold. That's important. Um, charging, yes, um, uh, we promise to have a charging station once every 150 kilometres, and we will. Um, that's you know, that's an administrative thing. I'm still working through, but you know that'll be a future announcements as to details. But that we are doing that. That's an election promise, mm-hmm. and we're getting on with it. You know, I've had discussions about how we achieve that, and that's all coming along quite nicely. Thank you very much. Um, we'll have an electric vehicle strategy. I'll be having more to say about, you know, the sort of process around that and what goes into that. Um, uh, we'll convert the Commonwealth fleet to electric and hydrogen. That's important, 10,000 cars. Um, that's important. So it's all happening, um, Murph. Uh, more to say about, you know, some of it. Um, but everything we said we would do, we will do. And I've said that, you know, we'll be consulting about other elements and things that we can put into the electric vehicle strategy, and I'll have more to say. What about vehicle emission standards? I've previously said that everything's on the table and we'll consult broadly and um, we will. I'll have more to say about that consultation process. Okay. All right. Um, we're, we're, we're almost at the end of the time, sadly, but I just want to ask you, get us out of the weeds now um, <laughs> and sort of look more generally. I want to ask you two questions. Um, obviously, because your, your principal dance partner, and we sort of started with this really when we were talking about the process of getting the bill through, but in, in parliamentary terms, your principal dance partner in this in this term, in this parliament, will be the Greens. You've been through the first phase of a discussion with them in relation to this first bit of legislation, um, uh, and obviously that's the first time you've done that in this portfolio, right? That's so. This is a this is sort of your opening. You know, your opening experience in that, right? So what have you learned as a consequence of that? Do you see the Greens in this parliament as as a partner or or an adversary or or both or...? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, they're a political party which is is an opponent of us and, you know, we're opponents of them. You know, there are seats we fight for. They have a different view about many things. Um, Having said that, you know, where we can come together on areas of mutual agreement or... Perhaps I should say better mutual objectives. You know, we, we're both trying to achieve similar things, but we have different perspectives. I think the key is, you know, um, there is a relationship there where, you know, we can at least have a conversation where we can say, look, do you think this is something worth talking about? You know, is this something we can work together on or not? You know, and if it's not, well, we'll we won't. And if it is, we'll at least talk and we'll explore the possibilities. That's how this started. You know, frankly. Um, uh, I didn't expect them to walk away from any of their fundamental beliefs. I made it very clear to them we wouldn't be walking away from the key fundamentals of our policy. Um, but I thought, and Adam Bant thought, with the Prime Minister's agreement, it was worth exploring to see where we could work together, and we did. Um, and that's a good thing. That's a good, I think the you know I think most sensible people listening would say that's a good thing for the country. We got something done this week. Isn't that a good thing? Um, and, you know, it doesn't mean that we don't have arguments. It's been pretty clear. You know, Adam Bance said some things about us and we have different views about him and not, not personally, but, you know, about his policies and his, and his political party. That will continue. 
We're not here to sing, you know, kumbaya together all the time, but we are here where we can to come together for the country and we will. And I will, you know, there'll be times when I ring him and say, do you think this is worth something we could explore working together? He might say yes or he might say no, and he might do the same with us. Um, and, look, to be fair, I'll do that with across the part, parliament with people who want to do it, people who want to do it. Um, I think you're right. I think, it, you know, it could well be that um, that is the most likely combination. Um, but it will it will only ever come, I think, where, you know, it's very clear that we won't be walking away from some of the things or any of the things that we believe very, very strongly. I don't expect them to either. It's tricky, though, just quickly, in the, with the safeguard stuff, obviously, you know, we've clarified that most of it's a regulatory thing, but obviously, you know, the Greens and the Liberal Party could combine mm. a different polarities, right, of objection. Yeah, that would, to, I mean, the Liberals will object to any reform of safeguards because they don't believe in emissions reduction. Let's just, yeah. let's just call it. It would be, yeah. I, I think it would be unfortunate if the Greens, you know, combined with them because they don't like the particular way we've done it. If that's the way, I don't, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Like, it might not even be an issue, right? Um, yeah. I've got a genuine consultation process to go through. It will be controversial. I just, you know, the, nobody's going to read the safeguards mechanism discussion paper and go, oh, that's all very easy. Nobody's going, everybody's going to agree on all that straight away. Like, the, nobody's going to think that. But the things worth doing in politics are never easy. You know, if it was, worth, if it was easy, somebody else would have done it. Um, so that doesn't phase us. Um, but it would be, yeah, sure, there's always a risk that the Liberals and the Greens could combine. They could have, they could have on this legislation, but they didn't. Um, and I will have good faith discussions um, uh, again when it comes to safeguards regulations. I, I, I've said that. The Greens have said that they'll have views on our discussion paper. I've said, you know, I'm happy to hear them. Um, there'll be good faith discussions, but I would be disappointed if, you know, the Greens for one reason and the Liberals for another reason combined to stop serious emissions reduction from the biggest emitters. But we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. That's that's a little way off yet. Um, I think Let's end on a positive note. The Parliament showed this mm. week what is possible. Let's not catastrophise about what might go wrong. <laughs> no, let's, let's, no. Let's, let's celebrate what is possible. And the no, no, no. Done. No, that's very, very reasonable, Council. One more question, then I know you've got to go. Um, just, I just want really your, uh, your political head on this. I mean, obviously it's hard to be objective because you're in the middle of it, um, but obviously the Liberals made a big call this week by by digging in and not supporting that legislation, it, it seems pretty obvious to me that Peter Dutton thinks that there is some universe where you can continue to weaponise in this in this space and part of his calculation in not agreeing, uh, you know, or not coming to the table in discussions with you around this bill has been that he his judgment is you, you and the Greens doing a deal on emissions reduction will be bad for Labor. Politically, no, I right? Think, I, I what, think what, what do you think about that? What old, do you think about that? Same old. I mean, part of the reason, a big part of the reason they were turfed out of the office was because they couldn't get their act together on climate. A funny way of showing that they've heard the lesson. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think they have reinforced to all those sort of, you know, perhaps in other ways conservative voters, falsely conservative voters, but who cared about climate. Funny way to reinforce the message or to, 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 to tell those voters they've got the message and they've changed because they haven't. And, you know, they haven't changed. It's the same people. The same people who presided over this decade are still there. And that's okay. But, oh, I don't, no, that's, not, that, that's okay. But after you've lost an election, you know, at some point you've got to say, yeah, okay, we didn't get everything right. And nowhere more spectacularly did they not get everything right than climate. And they, they can't say that 
because they don't get it. They don't accept. Mm. You know, with one of the exceptions, they don't yeah. accept they got it wrong. They have not <laughs> changed. Yeah. No, no, I'm not contesting that that point. I mean, they have they've just been, look, I'm, I'm an old-fashioned person who believes in right and wrong, and yeah. I, I believe they've wrong. been wrong for they're a wrong. very long time they're on, wrong. in relation to this. They have been but, wrong. Was, but they could say, look, we get it. We, we, we had a go. We, 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 we made some mistakes. One of the areas we made mistakes is climate, and we're going to change. They could say that, but they're mm. not saying it. And so I think it's, I think it's, you know, I think it's bad politics. I think it's bad for them and bad for the country because actually the country does want climate action. Um, but, you know, having said that, if my political opponents in the Liberal Party want to, you know, reinforce the Australian people that they still don't get it, well, okay, way you go, guys. Do your worst. But this is, like, your judgment is that the country has genuinely turned a corner on this issue. Yeah, I mean, look, there'll always be, of course, there will always be political opportunity for cheap shots. Yes. They can do that, you know, and they can blame things on renewable energy, which is not the fault of renewable energy. They do that all the time. I mean, Peter Dutton has already done that in his relatively short period as leader of the opposition already. Um, you know, he, he he basically said the recent energy crisis was too much renewables. It's a lie. Um, but it just sort of reinforces that they haven't got the message. And, you know, what you see is what you get. The modern Liberal Party is not very modern. That's what you, that's, that's what you get. They have counted themselves out. This is the biggest challenge facing the globe, the biggest economic opportunity facing the country. They've decided to plead themselves out of the conversation by not agreeing on the need for action. I mean, it's just ridiculous. You've got the State Liberal Party of Victoria proposing legislation of a 50% target and the Federal Liberal Party saying 43% being legislated would be an affront to civilisation. I mean, the Federal Liberal Party is out of touch, even with their state branches, um, let alone the Australian people and the broad mass of the population. I mean, they are just reinforcing how much they don't get it. Mm. Okay. Well, <laughs> that seems fairly comprehensive as answers go. Thank you for your time, Chris, uh, as, uh, you know, at the end of a really busy, busy week and important week. I will be, I will be having a beer tonight, Murph, I don't like it. Well, well, uh, well, I, uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I, th- I think that's utterly fair enough and there may be a few other, you know, uh, uh, veterans of the climate wars who might be having a quiet tipple as well. You never know. Um, uh, but anyway, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you to Miles Martignoni, who's the EP of this show. Thank you to you guys for listening, sharing, talking, etc. cetera. Uh, we will be back next week. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 